Is that what I'm saying? Rough Trade Radio. 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 How's that? This is um, a Rough Trade Radio podcast. Um, the podcast is called Shoplifting, and it's shoplifting with Wayne Coyne from the oh, Flaming Lips. I see. That's so. I went around and was basically picking records that I could, well, I would steal, and exactly. then we would, you would catch me, and we talk about. I like that. I exactly. like your so way. Yeah, it's, you know, it's yeah, almost yeah. like. Do you have people that really come in and shoplift? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Every shop does, but not yeah. not loads. It's not like a problem. It would be difficult know. to steal a big album, I would think. It's true. I if you got the right bag, not that I've done right. it, but you right. know. Yeah. Do you have cameras and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. We've, I know. We live in we live in great times where everything is kind of recorded. So you know, if someone's stealing something, you can go, hey, you know, like. But then everybody feels like, hey, why are you always watching me? It's like, well, because we can. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> I know it's a it's a funny thing. There's a lot of these programs now um, that will you know there's a, there's endless amounts of of self indulgent programs that are made just for your little quirky mindset you know. But um, these these shows that uh, solve murder mysteries oh, uh, yeah. simply based on you know surveillance cameras and really? you know they they see the hotel where they checked in and then later they're at a convenience store buying some gasoline and you know all these little yeah, yeah. things and it's like well we live in just amazing amazing times where yeah you know it's it's very difficult to go undetected i suppose frightening though sometimes i mean there's all these statistics of being you know how you're never off camera essentially you know in in a right. city like london right and it's it's slightly orwellian sometimes you know it, it could be, but I think it, you know, in a sense, it's like, well, if you're not doing anything um, for anybody to worry about, if you're really just going to the store and, and you know, buying some cigarettes or something, who really cares? You know what I mean? And I think in the way that the world is, no, I think it, I mean, for me personally, I think it's a good thing that there's, uh, in a sense, I always, always felt like the worst, um, you know, uh, criminal minds in society, there just was never enough police you know yeah and everybody you know everybody hates the police except when um you know you want them and then there's they're obviously not enough and now it kind of feels like there's at least a a, a watchful you know sense that if if something needs to be policed there's another eye there that isn't um you that's know, true yeah isn't yeah I, but yeah i get the impression you're a glasses half full kind of guy well, I, which is lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. That, it's like, you mean that means like I'm seeing it positively? Opt- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. optimism for right. sure. I, I think I, I definitely, uh, you know, I think I, I would want to fall in the middle where I'm just like, no, you know, I'm, I'm cautious and I'm real and all that. But um, yeah, I think it. I think I, I. I, especially when it comes to like our music, sometimes I hear it and I'm just like, "Wow, yeah, saying some really great things in our music." Well, yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I think the music, you know, pushes you to this, to to probably self- the more extreme of your personality, which I think is great. That's what it should do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I mean, is it thirty years now? The lips. Well, the Flaming Lips have been around since 1983. Oh, yeah. So you know, long. Yeah, long, insanely long time. Yeah, but you know, I, I mean, that's that's phenomenal. More, you know what I mean? There's, you know, I when you're around as long as we have, you do. There's markers of other groups and other things and other cool entities out there that have managed to stick around as long as you. So it doesn't seem as bizarre, you know, the longer we go. And I think the music 
the world of, by which allows you to make music has changed so much now. Um, and the markers of what is successful and what is worth pursuing and all those sorts of markers have kind of changed. So, um, do you yeah. feel like you've embraced that? I mean, you, well, I think we've just been really lucky. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, part of what happens to you when you're young, um, is that you, you know, you, you have this great urge or whatever it is to do your thing. Um, and if you're lucky, um, you get to do it and it works enough that you kind of are, you know, you're not just compelled from your internal desires. There's some outward thing that seems like, oh, this is working, you should do it or whatever. But then almost inevitably, you know, you get thrown out into the the real panic of your life when you're about 35 or 36 and you realize you've done nothing else. You know, there's no other skill. There's no other work. There's no other life that you could do other than this one that you've been doing. And I think that sometimes is, is a worry for artists. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, there's something cool about you're making your art, but you don't have to make a living from it. That seems like it could almost go on forever. But the minute you start to earn your living and, and other people's livings as well through this art, um, that seems really great. But then if you're like me, you just worry all the time of like, well, how will it keep going? And so it, it must be a fine balance. You know, well, to... I think for the longest time at the Flaming Lips, I kept worrying about it keeping going. And then, you know, uh, someone I think came up to me and said, well, Wayne, it's been going for 30 years. Why are you worried about it? And I was like, you know, you're right. It'll probably, it'll probably keep going and forever, and, you know, and I should Into stop worrying about it keeping going and just yeah. have, yeah, and enjoy that it is and not, not, you know, so I have a sense of that until you brought it up and now I'm in a panic again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But that that worry doesn't doesn't um, overshadow the output, you know, which is in, incredibly artistic and creative. And you always seem to aspire to to challenge yourself and your, your listeners and well, and your fans I, are, and, I don't know. know if it's a challenge as much as I mean, we just pursue things that you know we whatever it is that you're liking, whatever sound is turning you on or whatever. And I think. Sometimes when I listen back to it, I can I totally understand where it could be a challenge because sometimes I think people expect that you're going to do this. And he's like, oh, you know, and and I think our music has no it just has no boundaries of what it what it's capable of. And so sometimes it is it's jarring and it's loud and it's a racket or whatever. We were talking just just a little uh, few minutes ago about music that you might want to listen to when you have a hangover. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't know who brought mostly, that up. <laughs> mostly, mostly it, not me, but, um, <laughs> but um, it was mostly me it would have been something that's kind of soothing and kind of propels itself along without too much agitation. Yeah. And, you, you know, we have... Brian we, Eno or something. Yeah. And oh, you had some really, some of the stuff that you guys were playing even in the store at the time. I thought, oh, this really suits that. You know, Bonobo. Oh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, and some of their stuff is is utterly amazing. I've I've listened to it, um, not in having a hangover. Listened to it um, late at night when it would just be myself about to fall asleep, but didn't want some racket going on too much, you know. Um, but you know, our music, I it does you know, it it can be a racket. It can be grinding. It can be um, it can be atonal. It can be unmusical, whatever. And then I think other bits, you know, can be absolutely musical and, and easy and, and soft or whatever. So, you know, we're, it's, it's tough. You wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't come into a record store and just, you know, grab every Flaming Lips album and say, oh, this is all going to be of a thing. Yeah. Some of it would be completely opposite of, of some of the others. Yeah. 
but that that that's a hard thing to achieve, I think, and that and that's um, massive credit to to yourself and the band. Well, thank you. Know, you. For, for yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think anybody that's if you not get just to being be... prolific, but being prolific with your kind of determination to be as true to your creative kind of. Well, there you go. That's 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 the only Self. defense there is. Yeah, that if you you know if you like if to if you want to explore this and you want to express this or whatever, um, you should do it. And I always say, you know, the flaming lips. The thing that's happened happened to us that is is that nobody has stopped us. You know, you almost feel like you're doing something and. Um, you know, you kind of get to the edge of of all your reasons, and you're like, you know, someone will come up and stop us, and this won't be able to keep going forward. And that just, you know, it's never happened. I mean, I remember when when um, uh, Dave Friedman and Stephen and 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 myself, we were we were going into making this this thing that we were going to call the 24 hour song, and um, you know, we'll get working on things and we're just barreling through whatever logic, whatever reasoning, you know, it doesn't really matter. And we could be talking about making a song that lasts for 24 hours. And, and it's real to us. It's, we're not, it's not an abstract of like, oh yeah, wouldn't that be cool? We're really starting to do it. And I remember Dave Fridman, you know, he's, he, we're all so locked into this, determined to make this a reality. And at the time, I think the Pro Tools session the yeah. longest session that you could make was a 24 hour session right you know I, you know and you could see somewhere along the way the people that designed it were probably like what you know this is why would anybody want to make music that lasts for this long let's put a limit on it and it was 24 hours and it was you know it's amazing the things you find out when you're you know doing doing did, the did unknown you, did you, know? you ever did you record that? Song? We did. I mean, we call it the twenty-four hour song, but I think it really presents itself more as a series of songs. You yeah, know, that sort of. Some of them would be, you know, an hour long. Some of them would be six hours long. Some of these little sections would be up to eight hours long, and you know, and that these would be. It was. It was an insane amount of recording that we did, and it's an interesting concept that a friend of mine was telling me about a, a performance they did at the Barbican with about thirty, forty musicians, and they. They played, I think, for two, three days straight, and and it never ended. Oh, I see. Wow, um, yeah. as a live performance, so yeah. people would take breaks, you know, and right. but, but the music would continue yeah, yeah. for you yeah know, two, three days. I think there are some things that probably uh, work better as a concept than they do in in real life. You know, there's probably things that you would you know you'd rather read about than experience, and, and I think the twenty four hour song proved that a little bit to us. Previous to that, we had done a six hour song. Um, and like a, a lot of times we'll just catapult ourselves into more of whatever we were doing, you know? So, uh, you know, we did a six hour song and I probably jumped ahead to, to doing something like a six year song, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, logic would have, you know, cooler, calmer minds would say, well, why don't we do a 24 hour song? But um, I don't think the 24 hour song works in this it, as as well it's, as the six hour song, the six hour song I've actually listened to it on, um, on like when you're driving somewhere or something, and it's 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 a version of the same song, sort of reinventing itself, yeah, sort of thirty minutes at a time, which is not in that's not an insane amount of time, but a twenty four hour quite transcendental, I imagine. Yeah. Well, Stephen had made this piece of music that you know he was he was recording mostly uh, just by himself at his house he made this piece of music that went on for 28 minutes or something like that and he remarked of how 
it so easily rumbles along. And before you know it, you're almost, you've almost played for half hour. And he was right, you know, and, and we had started to conceptualize this bigger piece of music. And I don't know why we arrived at uh, calling it the six hour song, but I think we knew it was going to be six hours long before we even did it. But I thought, you know, this, this 28 minute piece of music that you've already created, you know, it's already kind of an effortless moment of time. Let's just redo that and redo that. And and I think that really worked. Some of it is easier than others, but it, it bubbles along without too much relaxation and not too much agitation. And you're kind of, and that's just the magic of sometimes mood and, and music. It can do that. Whereas I think the thing that we did that was 24 hours long couldn't keep doing that. You yeah. know, it's just too, too long, too repetitive Pushed and too exhausting and just too, yeah, you know, you would definitely have to be on some kind of drugs or in some state of mind to want to listen to that, yeah. you know, in, in its whole, its whole thing. Yeah. I don't think that would work. Yeah. But as much, <laughs> as much as your, um, as what I want to say about your, your live, um, performances, you know, you've, as much as you're renowned for, for that incredible back catalog of, of work, you know, your live shows are, are as yeah. equally, if not more so renowned, you know? And, yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. See, you, was there a point when you kind of, you saw the importance of the the kind of theatrics and the the well, idea no, of performance. No, I think we I think we just got absolutely lucky that you know when we started the group, um, you know every element of being in in a in a you know at the time we were like a, just a punk rock group or whatever. You know you don't really know what all those are. You think you 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 could easily think it's about playing music and then records, you know, your albums would just be whatever you play in front of people, but it would be a recording of it. You know, you could think that in the beginning. Um, but we had made a record really on our own, just with our own money and put it out and everything in Oklahoma City, really before we were e even able to play. Yeah. You know, no one in Oklahoma City, none of the places uh, where punk rock groups were playing and stuff would even let us play. They didn't, they just didn't like us and didn't think whatever we were doing didn't fit their thing or whatever. And we made this little six song record and just put it out. And the first places that we got to play were like San Francisco and Chicago and, and, and you know, like in Lawrence, Kansas and stuff. And so we were, you know, we found that we really loved making records we found that oh we really like that thing and playing live we never um felt that good about it because we're just not extroverted you yeah. know i mean back then we were very introverted weirdo you know people wanting to make our music and that idea of having to confront the world and say i'm a performer i'm a singer or whatever just felt like those are entertainers and we're yeah. artists and we made this very big gap between th those things. And I think as the Flaming Lips went along, that never really worked for us. You know, this idea that we're the shy, um, introverted, you know, artists, and yet we have to play to an audience. And in the late 90s, we kind of started to abandon the idea of uh, even playing live. It, we, we didn't feel like it worked that well for us, and it wasn't something that all of us enjoyed. And we really were embracing the idea of making albums we that's when we made the the four cd thing the zyreka record yeah, yeah, yeah. and right after that the the record the soft bulletin came out the late late 90s and we were content you know at the time anyway to think well we don't really have to play live we will just be a, a you know an entity that makes these you know elaborate records that take us two or three years to make so when we would go out and play shows 
this really right around the time the soft bulletin came out, we threw away everything that we were like trying to pretend to be this cool, crazy rock group or whatever. And I think we just embraced like, why don't we just do whatever we want and not worry about it? Yeah. Feeling like people probably won't get it, and be, you know, at least we'll enjoy it and it'll be what it's going to be. And that that's really when I started to do things like throw the confetti and I'd pour blood on my head and yeah. Stephen... Stephen was no longer drumming. He'd play guitar and sing. And we would just do whatever it was that sort of that we liked and that we would just present ourselves as like, well, this is what we do. And those things, the throwing the balloons and all those silly things that sort of seem normal now and this is kind of we do it all the time. That made all the difference. Yeah, it, made, it, it made you feel good about live again. And it did or, or it brought out some some. A thing like you mentioned in the beginning, this optimism or something that we couldn't find on our own, you know, and, and it was only when we stopped caring about being cool that we actually became cool. <laughs> Isn't that the, the, the dilemma with it, you know? And yeah, yeah you know, and, and I'd still think that idea that we were introverts, but we presented this big you get a spectacle and you could pay attention to the spectacle and we could just be the little weirdos making the spectacle work. Um, that suited us. And now I think you could come to a show and you could like have seen Beyonce last night and yeah. see us tonight and be like, eh, you know, they're kind of doing the same thing. But yeah. I, you know, I'd say it looks that way, but you know, uh, from what I can tell, Beyonce feels like a very confident performer, yeah. great singer, you know, absolutely insane, sexy persona. And, she walks on stage and said, of course, you're going to pay attention to me, you know, and we don't have any of that. You know, we don't feel good about our singing, the way we look, any of that. You know, we used to walk on stage quite embarrassed about like, you know, we're not Beyonce. So what, what do we do? <laughs> but now, you know, we, we bring all this stuff, you know, this light show and all this stuff. And even it the feels way like our an extension. fans... It, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the way our fans react to what we're doing is what we bring to the room and say, it's not about us. It's about this stuff that's going to happen once we start a play. And that, I think, makes us, you know, it, we get, it gives us that confidence yeah. that a Beyonce probably has, you know. Amazing. <laughs> it's a little part of you when you walk out on stage. It feels like Beyonce. Well, she probably thinks, well, you know, when I get tired of singing, there's always my butt and my hair and, <laughs> you know, and, and we don't have any of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I realized I did actually write a couple of questions. I, I wanted to... Um, we were we were marveling over your unpreparedness, but you actually are a little prepared. Yeah. Um, but it was... Um, I wanted to ask about the new record, which, as I said earlier, I, I love, you know. Well, thank then, you. Uh, thank we, you for we sure. We really love it here at Rough Trade. And, um, yeah, I think that's how we got onto the hangover. It's not just good for hangovers. <laughs> it's it's good to listen to on headphones that I was talking to on, on my way into work, but um, it's also good for head. For hangovers. Were you listening to headphones on the like the 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 subway or something? Is yeah, I get oh, the training. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's kind of it's a perfect way to listen it to is. the record. There's a great there's a great isolated amongst you're in a big crowd and you're isolated yeah. with your own trip. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool thing. Yeah. yeah, it really is. But you um you described oh, I read a quote you described the um the, it's oxymelody, right? We're yes, we're saying it's something like that oxymelody. Yeah. You know, it's Melody, a, yeah. it's it's meant Where does it come to, from. Well, I mean, we found out, you know, as we started to embrace these terms, you know, this is a, it's a Polish phrase, oxymelody, mm -hmm. which, you know, after we Google searched it uh, and sort of did a, some curiosity about what it could mean, it's a Polish phrase that means eyes of the young. Um, and I have this 
little paperback book that I got at a used bookstore in, you know, in, a, in I think it was in Baltimore, you know, about five or six years ago. And it's just simply, I, I picked it up. I liked the way that it looked. The title of the book is Blisco Domu, which I didn't know what that was, but I just liked it and had no, it only cost a dollar. I threw it in my bag and carried it around just on that sheer aesthetic. I have, even though it's a book, I have no idea what the book is about. I looked at it quickly and realized it's in some other language. And that was the extent of my, you know, involvement. Like, I like it and I'll have it, you know. Um, and then it somehow it, find, it found its way into the studio. But I, I probably subconsciously, you know, was thinking, oh, I want this as a reference in yeah. my creative. They're ingrained. Yeah. You know, and so it, it found its way in the studio and I would look at it and ponder it like, what is this? And... Stephen, the one day we were looking, we're working on stuff, but we're looking for a title for the track that ends up being called Oxy Melody. There's a, it, 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 the album is called that, but there's also a track that's called that. And he stumbled upon, in the same way that I would look through the paperback in this, it's in, it's in Polish, so we can't really understand it. But it's a funny thing, it looks like it should be in English or, or language, you know, it's, it's okay. written in, you know, it's not, it's not written in some strange hieroglyphics. You yeah. know, it, it looks like you should be able to read it, but, you, but it doesn't <laughs> reveal any meaning to you, but you do stumble upon these phrases that you, know, you think, what is that? Is that a, a, is that somebody's name or what is that? And oxymelody was something that would have, you know, unfolded in a unreadable line of a sentence and said, what, what is that? And I think, um, it immediately appealed to us because it sounded silly. It yeah. sounds, uh, it's it's gibberish, but it doesn't have a, for us anyway, it didn't have a bad reference. It was like, well, what could that mean? And we were looking for something like that. And and I think we had admired other people that sometimes would have just very gibberishy, nonsensical titles. I, I think Aphex Twin or Radiohead and, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, where it's like, I don't know what it means, which throws you into another world, you know. Um so that that sort of thing started to kind of appeal to us as a as a sometimes you, you know fail safe another another version yeah when it works and when it feels right it's right sometimes it seems a bit well yeah you don't really know which way to go yeah. I mean a lot of it is is you know if if you're allowed to really you know embrace being creative you know it's a very subtle tug of something that you love versus something that you like and you don't really know what to do and you just keep working and if you're if you're lucky the the subtleness of the things you really love they do pile up and you know you're not stuck with just mediocre stuff that you have to make and some stuff that you really love and in time we would we would shave off the things that didn't we didn't absolutely love and yeah. keep the things that we did and that's that's what most of our good records i think are you know yeah, they're, they're it, kind of this 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 long you know finding the thing you know scraping off the things that aren't it and finding the thing that it is and it, it's it I mean it's difficult but it's wonderful all at the same time if you're lucky enough you get to make records the way we do where you can take a couple of years you're you're kind of making one record that's taking you a couple of years and other records that you're making in between can take you. I mean, we were making the Miley Cyrus record with her at the same time we're making this. So yeah. it's great to have so many avenues all crashing together and being the ultimate person that gets to pick and choose what we're gonna, what's going to represent our creative life of all that. It's wonderful. Good to hear. But you, you um, described the, the album as Sid Barrett meets ASAP Rocky. 
trapped in a fairy tale from the future. <laughs> <laughs> if if someone that... said that to me about their record, I'd be like, oh, really? Let me hear that. Yeah, yeah. I've got to hear that. That sounds, in, that sounds like something that could be... Um, could be great, but could be really horrible. I guess I I said that open open. I think it's great. To, 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 I, I want to hear that record before I heard it. Well, I feel like there would be a, a a group of people that would probably not know what a Sid Barrett is and be like, "Well, I don't know what you mean by that." And then then it would also fall on people that would, if you knew what who Sid Barrett was, they may say, "Well, I don't know what an ASAP Rocky is. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about." But I think there would be a lot of people in the middle. That would be intrigued. That oh, I I know who Sid is, and yeah. I know who ASAP is. This is this is wrong or or <laughs> perfect or something, you know. And I think part of um, the Oxymelody record, I think it does that. I don't think all of it does, but I think there's an element of that quirkiness all the way through it. With um, and and when I say Sid Barrett, you know, I think Sid has he always been an influence for you. Well, we probably didn't know how much in the beginning, you know, in the beginning, none of that stuff was as accessible or as knowable as it is now with the way uh, everything is reissued and everything is talked about. And there's endless information about any slightly, you know, celebrated underground entity. Everything is available to you. But back in the early 80s, it was not apparent that Sid Barrett um, was something everybody would would you know, embrace as, as a kind of a mysterious, uh, you know, entity out there. Um, and as we went along, I think people would, would compare us to him and we'd become a little bit more curious. Like, what do you mean by that? You know, and we would know more about the later Pink Floyd music than we did the earlier stuff. But then as that stuff would be reissued and there'd be more stuff about it, we would, we, we would definitely loved it and would embrace it and, and found something in there, um, of Sid's stuff, even his, even his very, you know, crude, you know, but charming sort of demos and stuff that is like, yeah, there's something. And, and what I think it is, is that it's probably in, in the way that I sing, you know, which, you know, I'd be the first to admit that I'm not a singer, um, but I do love to sing. And I think that's where the, the determination comes in is to, to, to sing my songs, you know, the, to, the best I can and I, then I think there's probably some quirk in there that even, you know, even if I tried would still be in there, which I think Sid has, not just in the way that he sings, but just in the way that he's sort of telling these stories yeah, and, and exactly. that character. Yeah, and that. yeah. And that, you know, that that fragile, you know, childlike, you know, sort of broken character, which is Sid, not so much me, but I think there's an element of that in, in my songwriting. Um and then we put on top of that this very, um, I think, relaxing but pr- propulsive sort of production where the bass is so low and the the rhythms are so, you know, I don't know if it's a, if it's called a, a trap rhythm or whatever it is. But some of that started to really appeal to us when we were working with um, Miley and even her producer, Mike Will and stuff. Just a whole different, not different to the world, but different to us in a different approach of, of what would you make a song out of, you yeah. know, and watching her, uh, watching Miley take what is really just a track that someone has presented to her, this great sounding you know, produced track yeah. that doesn't have a singer on it yet. And she would, you know, spend several nights with her. She'd be smoking lots and lots of pot while she would go through on her laptop and, 
she'd listen to a track and she'd just start to sing to it, you know? Yeah. And I thought, what a great, insane way for the Flaming Lips to maybe approach music where yeah. we would make a track and be involved in that. And then we would sort of represent it to ourselves on the other side as if we were going to be the singers and say, what would you do to this? In the way that Miley d did that while we were in front of her a couple of times. Because the Flaming Lips, I mean, the way we, a lot of times the way we work, we still are, are not stuck. But, I mean, we're just used to the idea of being the songwriters, the singers, the drummers, the bass players, the guitar players, you know, and mixing on, you know, all these things. Having all that knowledge, understanding, and sadly probably too much control. To whereas, you know, she would listen to it and be like, oh, it puts me in this mood and start to sing. And I thought, what a great new version of ourselves if we if we found a way to do that. So I think Stephen and I and our producer, we you know, we attempted to be both sides of it, yeah. That's interesting how those collaborations as well seem to feed into the lips, you know, the other things that you do, that totally, you, then you yeah. come back and you're like I think that I think if they didn't I don't, I don't think people would want to do them. I mean that's why I'm always open for like, how are you doing things? Why why do you like this and how's how's this work? And getting in there and really working with people is is I mean, to, I love that, you know, and I love that it, you don't really, um, you don't know why it got the way it got. But when you're in there with people, um, it's, it's, it's uncanny because everybody's following the same kind of invisible thing. You know, you're, there's what you like versus what you know what to do and all these things. And like you talked about earlier, the, the desire to come across as being cool or whatever. And all those things are always playing on you. And it's very difficult to be unique or to do your thing regardless, you know, and um, sometimes, yeah, being around someone like a Miley Cyrus, that's, I mean, even in this time I was around her, she was only 22 years old, sitting in her own studio by herself with a computer and making this cool song. It was it would not have been what people would think it is, you yeah. know. 10 producers around everybody telling her what to do. There she was simply smoking some pot, listening to a track, making up a song. I yeah. thought that's why we're so much alike. And yeah. that way people oft, often ask, I'll be like, if you saw what she did and I'm sitting, just sitting there with her, you'd see how we're absolutely alike. I do that all the time. Surely you must be almost a, a mentor to her in a way as well. No, I, I, we, I don't, I don't think know if we I like think of it in that term, way. We're, we're each other's heroes in yeah. a way because even that thing that I would have pointed out to her, you know, she would not be aware of it and, and noticing it saying, oh, that's cool the way you do that uh, would be what she would say about us. I yeah. saw you like the way you you had this problem in the song and then you just thought of something else. And those are those are dilemmas everybody runs into. And when you see other people do it, it's inspiring. Yeah. So, yeah, she's there'd be times where she's definitely my hero. And I think there's times I would I would be hers. But that's in really those in those subtle creative ways that you aren't quite aware of your the way you're being in. She's she's awesome in that way for sure. Amazing. I can't I can't wait to hear <laughs> the output. Will that be this year or next year? Or? The um well she has this record, the um the Miley Cyrus and the Dead Pets record, mm -hmm. which, you know, is only available on her SoundCloud. Okay. You know, it's not something that um you can buy or you can you know, you can only stream it. Um and to me, I, some of that is frustrating because I sometimes I want to listen to it and I'm not somewhere where I can get to a SoundCloud yeah. or whatever. But um, I think her reasoning was that she didn't want there to be any mechanisms of of rational record company yeah. thoughts um, that could go into it. You know, she wanted it to, to be free and she didn't want anybody to mess with her ideas of yeah. it. And, and to her... 
and I think she's right. I mean, especially in the way that some of her records have been put out. I mean, they would have been, you know, mass marketed yeah. by very smart mass marketing people to work. And some of her, uh, you know, her popularity and all that is based on all that stuff absolutely working. And her, um, you know, letting it happen or submitting to it or allowing it to happen or wanting it to happen. You know, who, who knows? But I think with with that record, she wanted it to be as much the way she could handle it and do it her way. And I think we were lucky that we just allowed whatever it was that she wanted to do to happen. And so it's available, but only in that way. You know, it's not something that, that and maybe someday it'll be able to be in a record store and stuff like that. But, yeah. And I think she'll gain a confidence and a power that allows all that to to, to exist in the world. But um, I think she's very smart because it, it was, it, it was, you know, we were working on that record thinking, oh, we're going to work on this for another six months and see what comes of it. And then the next day she's kind of like, no, we're putting it out right now. Yeah. And, and we had worked on almost 20 songs together thinking that was going to end up being maybe four or five songs. And she put them all out. <laughs> it's like, bam, you know, so it's, 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 it was, it was insane. Still is insane. That sounds like the start of something special. We should um so so we've challenged you to, to shoplift and, and pick um five records or CDs. Right, but the challenge really is to only pick five. You know, the to pick five in a store like this is yeah. is, is a challenge because you can easily go around and pick five hundred things and that's, yeah, that's good to hear. Sure. Yeah. Um your first choice um is Pink Floyd's Animals, which well, we um, we we woke up. Um, we we arrived in in London earlier today, but we didn't uh, realize where we were. We went straight into the hotel, didn't look around very much, and then it was only later the, in the night when we opened up the curtains, we realized that we're we're right by this this insane power plant. Which, if you live in England and London, you're quite used to this being a real structure. But I mostly know the the Battersea power station. Yep. Um, from this pink, this animal's Pink Floyd yeah. album cover. So, um, seeing it in real life, we're always like, "There it is," you know. And I think anything that you, is is ingrained in you when you're that young is a kind of a magical, yeah. you know, place, you know. Um, and it still, um, it still looks a lot like this. I mean, it seems like there's there's some care being taken to, to, um, to. I'm, I'm, I'm with, to keep it looking like it's a power but, yeah, station, yeah. but it's not a power station now, is it? No, it's not. I don't know if they're turning it into flats, you know, or apartments like right. everything else. But yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll keep. I think it's you know protected heritage, exactly. architectural structure. Yeah, which, which I, I mean, only because I like this Pink Floyd album so much that I think oh, that's great. So, so if that, I, if so I that was a record a, you loved, well, I think when you were younger, or? when um, there was most of those Pink Floyd records, I'd say up to. Probably the wall or something like that, you know, would have been something that my older brothers and older sister and all of our, their friends and ever all of us would have embraced all of that, listening to all that music, uh, you know, getting stoned and having absolutely insane times before we all, uh, you know, became old enough that we weren't hanging around each other all the time. So, yeah, this would probably have been at the very end of all that stuff. And this is probably the last Pink Floyd record that we all probably embraced together and pondered its meanings and all that sort of yeah. st stuff, you know. That's a nice memory for that record. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's probably, you know, um, music from when you were young, you know, has a has a deep, special place, probably for the good and the bad, yeah. you know. There's probably things that you hear that reminds you of things that you don't you don't like about being a child but I think most of my childhood was pretty magical so there's not much about m the memories of it that I would I'd resist you know 
Would you, um, like, would you like to pick a track from the album I, that I we would, can play? I'd say even even the very first one. I mean, the pigs on the wing. It's there's a haunting, unmelodic strangeness to this record. And as if when you, you know back then when you didn't know that the entire history of what Pink Floyd was going to become, it seemed like they were going into this this sort of dark, paranoid period. Um, which we know now they never came out of. <laughs> and, and just the, the way that the band's dynamic was going to change and Roger, Roger Waters and, and uh, David Gilmore were going to you know, stop making so much music together. But I think this, you know, at the time we just thought, oh, this is just very strange. You know, and they're, and they're, um, their songs were getting longer. And, you know, this is an album, but it's only got uh, five tracks on it. Yeah. And, and some of them are reprises of longer versions of yeah. the other tracks on the same record. So it's like, you know, somebody's like it's four songs long makes it an entire record, which I think we, you know, we, we would just embrace all that. And and the strangeness of the metaphors and, you know, that. I mean, I just think it was another um, another version of Pink Floyd that we we're really loving. We didn't foresee at the time that there'd yeah. be a, you know, little by little, there wouldn't be a Pink Floyd and it'd be strange and it'd be kind of an embattled yeah. brand name or whatever the way it is looked at now. But um, yeah, you know, just cool. weird weirdness. Yeah. And here's the track. So your your next uh, record, uh, yeah, the, the next one I picked chosen. It was um, is the very first uh, Public Image Limited. Um, I guess back then it was just a, just a, on a record, you know. Now it's on a CD and stuff. Yeah. But um, the um, you know n- now knowing the the history and and all that of of, of not just the Sex Pistols but John Lydon and all the stuff uh, that's you know that's happened since then, um, people sometimes may not realize how insane Public Image Limited is as this the, as this creation of John Lydon's. I mean, I, it seems like it's 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 being created and recorded and made. Really, it has to be almost before the Sex Pistols are finished, or 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 the world knows that they're finished, or whatever. And and right as the Sex Pistols, I mean, I'm I'm not positive of all the dates, you know, but right as they're done, he comes out with this. It's like it's like psychedelic dub music, yeah. And and I and to me, and I think I think a lot of us hearing it at the time, this was what we thought punk rock 
really was. It was whatever you wanted to do, you would just go and do it. And it wasn't a categorized sound, you know, punk rock. When we were getting turned on to it was the meat puppets and the butthole surfers and yeah. black flag and it could be public image limited and it could be, you know, it could just be whatever you wanted it to be. I remember um, um, Mike Watt from the Minutemen. Yeah, I've met Mike Watt. You know, he would say that punk rock is whatever you, you whatever you say it is, you do yeah. it and it's punk rock. I remember seeing him live and he finished the whole set by going, go start a fucking band. Ex exactly. I mean, that's the inspiration that you get from him. And, and luckily for me, I ran into him in this very beginning of the Flaming Lips. We had just put out our first record and, and, and we were lucky enough to have played with them. And then they needed a place to stay and stayed at my house, you know. And so you're up all night talking to someone. You couldn't have picked a more inspirational big brother to say, yeah, do your thing. And... We, you know, for a little while, we thought, well, the Flaming Lips, we're, we're weird. I don't know if, if, you know, people in punk rock groups would like what we do, but we like punk rock, and yet we're not, we don't sound like typical punk rock. And then when we heard the Minutemen, and then we talked to him about our music, he was like, no, man, you're doing the American version of punk rock. It's yeah. that. It's very inspirational. And so in that same way, you know, hearing someone like John Lydon, who I still think is, is one of the great minds you know it's it's so amazing that he's I've, um, I've met him a couple of times we've had him in store for his book launch and yeah, for yeah. the for the last pill record actually and i think it's something that people underestimate about him his his intelligence and his you know what oh, totally. what he's sort of seen and lived and and yeah, yeah. certainly you know come coming out with pill after the yeah. being the the sort of iconic um, oh, yeah. face of, of 76, 77 punk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, to do something so different and like you said, introduce yeah. dub. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. It's insane. And, 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 and that he feels, I mean, that his opinion still resonates. You know what I mean? And, and he doesn't, he, I, I like that he talks and says things and feels things. There's, uh, there's some interviews out there where he talks about uh, Sid Vicious, and you can see him being overcome with emotion and stuff. And it's so cool yeah. that he allows that to be part of what people know about him. So, yeah, and so, um, and, you know, like a record like this, um, you know, in, in context of what was happening at the time, just blew our minds and just made us utterly believe, yeah, you can just do, you can do the music that you want. And I think, yeah. I think in a way that, that helped the Flaming Lips, you know, get over this, identity crisis or lack of an identity yeah. crisis, you know, that we would just be what we could be and we would find our way that as he was doing, you know, with, through the Sex Pistols and his new group and stuff. It's just amazing. That's, that's, that's a, a really great choice uh, for that reason. Would you like to pick a track from the record? Well, you know, I've, I always liked the, um, the very first, the theme, you know, the public image theme. Yeah, and yeah. That, this was a slightly popular uh, video on MTV and stuff at the time. And, you know, for like I said, for us, even seeing it uh, as a video, just uh, just sort of already sort of, um, you know, made it even more legit. Like, of course, yeah, it's just a big popular group. Right? They have a popular video and it's a cool sound. And yeah, it's just all these things about it just pushed it through being something that people would question. And we really liked that about it. It was just a force of like, this is the music I'm doing now. And when you think about it, how, how insanely radically different it was in the way that's just it's the attitude and the the creative approach and all that just absolutely, you know, seems a thousand percent different than the way the Sex Pistols are doing 
doing their music and that it was almost happening at the same time. It's insane yeah. for, for a young person to be so, you know, I'm doing Driven my thing. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. And here it is.
Okay, your next yeah. choice. What have yeah. you got for us? Well, this, um, so going from, you know, some records that um, maybe those came out even around the same time, you know, Animals is probably 19, somewhere between 1975 and 1978 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and then the public image is somewhere around 1978 or something like that. I'm not really sure. We have a brand new record that's the OC's Singles Collection, which I have to say, I don't know if I've heard this, but I'm sure I've heard some of the tracks. And it's and I've picked up this insanely great vinyl copy of it that's got, um, it looks like it's printed on silver or it's with silver um, ink or something. Um, and uh, the OCs are, are, if you ask me, are one of these groups that's just on a great run. They're making insane music, they're playing insane shows, and they're putting out really yeah. cool records. Consistently. And they're just be become like a presence yeah. in, in the world. You know what I mean? Um, which I always encourage with people because sometimes, you know, um, as we know, you know, you, you go around and you see records, uh, even, even, even the Miles Davis record right next to it, you know, the OCs are becoming like everybody kind of knows about them, which which is part of what I think makes music so it, – it's not always the music itself. It's the determination and the propulsion of the people making it to be in the world. Yeah. Um, and and there's such a great example of that. We played a show with them oh, maybe five or six years ago, and just the sheer – like, man, they're just insane. They, yeah. they take the stage, and it's just, it's just an insane thing. But now their records have just become – um, you know, some of it's instrumental, some of it's got the yeah. great singing on it, some of it's, I mean, and, 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 um, and I feel like they've really, this is their year to kind of take over and they just keep putting out crazy, crazy records. Yeah. yeah and I don't know, this is like, this seems like the third or fourth record that's come out well, yeah, in the last year or something. You know? They are so prolific and, um, they, incredible live. I saw them last year that yeah, yeah. play with two drummers and yep. they just have that beefy, hard-hitting kind of sound, but they can go really instrumental, have that jazz tinge yeah, to it. Yeah, and, and really, really beautiful and musical and mm. really you know, freaky and punk rock and really yeah. aggressive and all that all happening out of the same group at the same time. It's it's amazing. So I feel like, you know, whenever people talk about, um, you know, the state of the music industry or whatever, it's like, you know, music industry, I don't really care or think about it that much. To me, it's just music, you know, yeah. and we can talk about music that came out 30 years ago or music that came out like 30 days ago. It's like it's like if you love music and all that, I think we live in absolutely the greatest times ever to be able to. I mean, for a group like the OCs, like I said, to have I don't even know, it's, it's probably at least three things that we yeah. are all pretty well aware of in the last year and have them put out and have them be, you know, circulating their, their poison around the world like they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, they almost, strike me as something like the Grateful the Dead. Well, like, I don't cause, know. Because they, they don't put their music on, I don't think they, it's, it's available to stream, you know, it's oh, I see. very focused on, on sort of buying the record oh, and I see. seeing them go. live. There and you go. I think that helps feed into that kind of like oh, notoriety, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that, they, they seem to me like a, they're like they're like a version of the Grateful Dead or something. I mean, they come from San Francisco yeah. and there's a sense of it just being like they're on their own trip. They've yeah. got their own party, their own family, their own their own world. and Kind of us against yeah. the world. Yeah, but I don't, when you see them, they don't come across that way. They, they, I don't think they're... You, you know, you don't even get a sense that they're aware that there is another world. It's like, this yeah. is our world. This is what we do. And that's even better, I think. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's not going against what you're doing. It's just, we just really like what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs>
It's a beautiful thing. Um, would you so like we had to pick a track. track you know, what would you like? I, I don't know. Let's. I, you know. I mean, I, it could be. It could be any of them. So um, let's let's pick one. This is a um, block of ice. Um, it says live in at the um, San Francisco Eagle. Is that, is that what it is? I'm not really sure. I I haven't really heard it, but I thought, well, this is a brand new thing that's just here right now. So here we go. This one's for Doug Hilsinger.
Okay, um, next record. What have you chosen? Um, this is one of my favorite records, really, of, of all time that there could ever be. Um, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew. Let's, um, I, what would be a track? I mean, I'm, I, I'm trying to remember the names of, I mean, the, uh, there's obviously a, the track called Bitches Brew, but I don't want you to have to play something that's like a half hour long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, this would be have been a record, this came out in the late 60s. This would be a record that my older brothers would know um, weirdo, you know, uh, guys that bought records uh, and I would I would be hanging around with them. And this would be a record that would have been around when I was young that I would have, they would have played it. And I would have thought, what is that? I can't understand that. And then later it would have been reissued onto CDs or something. And I would have heard it again. I thought, I'm not really sure I get this. You know, this is it's dissident and it's got, got strange combinations of sounds and chords and some of it rambles on in strange rhythms that I couldn't relate to. And then, for some reason, I don't know why, you know, I started to have an understanding of it. I started, and, and for a couple of years, it's probably about 10 years ago now, for a couple of years, it was almost the only thing I could listen to. No, yeah. no other music did the thing that it, that it did, and maybe it was just the way that my mind was starting to form or accept or whatever. And I think that happens with... Um, if you're lucky to to be re-exposed to music and re-listen to music and, you know... I, I hear, love that about music. You yeah. Know, when you, you, there's a record yeah. you just don't quite get at yeah. that time and then... Yeah. And you almost know that there's going to be a point that or, you, or you maybe, might or you will. But. Or maybe it was part of your personality that you just thought, well, I don't get that. It's, it's not my trip. And, and, and then it does become your trip. I mean, I, I remind that, to say that about music all the time to people. It's like, you may not like it now. And if you're lucky... I say that about movies, about books, about anything, you know. I always say that I want to listen to it or, or experience it with my new mind, meaning, you know, whatever I thought 10 years ago, I'm hoping that I'm, I think differently now and, and know yeah. more about the world and, and understand more about the world. And I think that happens all the time. And this was, to me, and this is either a good example of, of this opening up or this progression or, or the decay, and then I'm losing my mind, and maybe, <laughs> maybe by losing a little bit of my mind, now I finally understand what Miles and the group were, uh, were doing on this record. And it's such a famous record, I think people almost feel like they have to say they, they get the record, and they really do, but it's almost nicer, you know, to, to, to wait until a longer point in time and then to just... Well, you know, I mean, there was, really you know, there, there was always be uh, stuff that Miles... Uh, did that you could easily uh, understand and like, mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of it's really soothing and simple and yeah. it's wonderful, you know, but this record is, it, it, to some people probably doesn't even sound like Miles Davis. They're like, what is this? You know? And, but I think now I think it sets in there yeah. with a lot of great confrontational, uh, you know, freak music and yeah. people, people just say, oh, of course, you know, but, but it was, it wasn't that way for me, you know, I mean, there was, I, I didn't know for the longest time if I would ever like it and now I absolutely love it. So yeah, yeah. Great. A rough trade essential as well. Um, did you pick a track? I, I, think, a track. Well, I, I think I forget. It's like um, well, I mean, we, the, the Bitches Brew. I forget the titles of it. And since it's not available to look at right on there. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to open it. That's well, cool. You'll pick one. We'll pick a track. OK, there you go. We'll yeah. surprise you. So there you
And then Amy Winehouse is, yeah. the, is the last one. And so... Which I love the fact that you chose that. You know, so many... Uh, I get asked a lot because we do a lot of collaborations with a lot of people, but we do, we do a lot of collaborations with um, freak, freaky, exciting, you know, uh, uh, powerful women. And so I think because I work so much with Miley Cyrus, I think sometimes... Um, People ask me, like, you know, about about Amy Winehouse, who I think was probably in the same type of category, you know, to to me now. And I do regret that. Um, um, I wish that we could have, you know, she could have been in a state of mind or something that would have allowed that we could work, work do, you know, do some music together or something. And um, there's a documentary out. It's not yeah. that old. It's, you know, it's it's been out, and you, you see it on airplanes and stuff. And um, it's just so. Sad. I, I was in it tears. Is. Yeah, it's I was in just so sad tears watching that film. And um, it's just called Amy, and it's uh, Asif Kapadia directed it. Really it's um, yeah. I mean, there's these bits about her that you don't. I, I don't know. And maybe that was more known to her in England and stuff, and not as much in America and stuff. But um, just so such a cool, fragile um, uh, artist. You know, yeah. just a, just just a cool, creative person. And and. Um, a real talent. Yeah, just and just uh, you sort of feel like she would be in the category of of a, of a Miles Davis. You know that yeah. she would keep she would keep reinventing herself and keep trying things and keep being this sort of special human within all that. And um, so you know, I don't know if she has um, a lot a lot of music that we haven't already heard. You know, some artists don't have that much. Yeah. You know, unlike the Flaming Lips, who have like you know fifty records already. <laughs> you know, you know, there's not that much that we can get to know about her. You know, and um, and so when still, I but, when I was going through, I thought, oh, cool, there's another. And I don't know if this if this collection that I'm holding here, the Back to Black, um, uh, thing. I don't know if there's more outtakes or whatever that people yeah. are un, uh, you know going to uncover or whatever. Well, there's some stuff she did with Tony Bennett. I think they they put out eventually, but. But yeah, I mean, she's amazing talent. As sad as as the film and her life and the tragedy yeah. is, I think yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You can have songs and a record that that live on, you know, past past you. Yeah, uh, and and stuff. I and I and I did meet her, you know, and really? when she was went to one of these, um, the big thing uh, that happens in Austin, the South by Southwest Music yep. Conference, you know, and we were both doing um, interviews in the middle of the street, you know. Um, do you, like you do at these South by Southwest things, you know, there's just so many things happen. And I remember her coming out and did, I didn't know that much about her. I knew a little bit about her music, didn't know that much about her personality. And I thought she seems absolutely hung over, which <laughs> of course, you know, knowing more about her at the time. And I, and I remember thinking that she was a smaller person than I thought she was going to be. And, and her hair was absolutely tall at the time. And we were both sort of subjected to these these overly enthusiastic um, interviewers at the time, and um, and I felt like, oh, I don't know if this is going to go that well for her because I could see that she was not feeling yeah. like this She's wasn't something that she to wanted snap. to do. Yeah, and and I kind of felt a little bit embarrassed about how much I was willing to do it and how much she hated it. <laughs> I was like, maybe I should like it less because she doesn't seem to like it, and and. Um, it was fun, but you know, at the time we had no—you would have no idea what was about to happen. And I think uh, less than a year later, she was already she was already dead or whatever, you know. But um, but it was, it was just fun how that you know yeah. it's like crossing a path, and and, and and that their actual presence stays with you. I think that's one of the great 
things about meeting uh, people that you get used to seeing pictures of them or seeing them in, you know, in videos and stuff like that, but actually standing next to them. And, you know, it's just another impression that you get, yeah. which is, that's, that's really cool. I remember when uh, we met the Rolling Stones and you, for the longest time, I mean, you know, we only met them briefly one time. And yeah. For the longest time, you have an imp- you think you know them, or you think you know what they look like, but you don't have that that awareness of their presence, yeah. you know. And um, that t- t- took a minute to get used to of, of how Mick is very he's just so alive, and he's and he's bigger than you think he's going to be. Yeah. He's taller and more like you know he's more alive than you think he's going to be and 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 Keith was littler than you than I thought he was going to be he's just shorter and just a little less you know he's just he's more you know a little bit more invisible or something you know which you, you don't know any of that but when you're right there in front of people yeah. there's something you know about their presence and stuff and and Amy Winehouse definitely had that you kind of you know like whoa you know and uh so yeah I I don't know I I don't know um which uh, particular track? track. Um, th- let me see the the one. I mean, everybody. I know the 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 um, the rehab song a lot, mm-hmm. but um, the um, the I like. I really like the Back to Black song. I, I mean, I really like. I don't know if these are songs that yeah people are, that. over here are sick of or whatever. But um, I don't think we'll ever. I get wish sick I knew of. her. Yeah, yeah. So here is Amy with Back to Black.
Fantastic. So we'll well um, um, we'll finish up. And my part, first part of the interview went long, and then you had to pee. And I think the interview is wrapping up simply because now I have to pee. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I felt that <laughs> and that you'll need to pee, but. <laughs> Seriously, it's an absolute pleasure. And the new record, we, we all love a rough trade. And, well, thank um, you. you. I mean, this store is is insane. I I I should just come in here and 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 not have to do your show and just get some records. Yeah, man. Yeah. Come yeah. hang out anytime. But pleasure. Come. Thank you very much. Yeah, Wayne. for sure. Rough trade radio. Ronda Jules, Ronda Jules 3. Available in store and online at roughtrade.com. Copying of uppers and downers get done. I'm in a rush to be numb. Dropping a thousand ain't much. Come from the clouds on a missile to turn it so tiny in the dust.